Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, hi everyone uh, to my Living Rock Church family here in the UK and in Kenya. Uh, greetings and wherever you're watching it, whenever, however you're watching, I trust and pray that uh, what I share today will encourage you and bless you. You know, it's been seven weeks now since we've not been able to gather together and um, so we've done a lot of Sundays online and, and a lot of other things online as well and I've really missed not being able to gather and I'm sure you have as well but I have also been really blessed by the things that we've been able to put out um, on social media and put out online that have been really encouraging. I've loved the encouragement videos that we've done. Lots of different people from church have done short encouragement videos. Uh, it's been great to see their faces, hear their voices and be encouraged by them every other weekday morning. Uh, the musicians are just doing an amazing job and loved the uh, Tuesday sessions and also the worship on a Sunday that they've been producing. It's just been fantastic. I've really loved the breaking of bread that we've had. I know the resources that the guys are doing, uh, the youth leaders and the children's work leaders are doing for children and youth have just have been fantastic and are really appreciated. And a lot of other things that are going on on Instagram and Facebook. Um, the message is getting out there and, and it's been um, really exciting to see what's happening. And I've really appreciated as well our, our Sunday gatherings. And it's just really important that we recognize that although we're not being able to physically meet, we're still the church. And God is still speaking really clearly. God is still doing powerful and, and important things in us and among us. And he's shaping us and directing us now. You know, we're not just treading water. God is moving and he's doing things now in us and through us. Um, I've heard testimonies of, of answers to prayer, testimonies of God moving in people's lives. We've had new babies born uh, in the church. We've had new people who found faith in Jesus because neighbours and friends um, and colleagues and family members have shared the good news and they've shared the stuff that we've been producing with them and it's, it's had an impact and that's just wonderful to hear. We've been able to give generously and I just want to commend everybody listening that have sown and given. Thank you so much. You've given so generously to be able to support people in the church family here in the UK, church family over in Kenya as well. We've been able to bless people in our communities and our neighbourhoods and friends and family. And I know we'll continue to do that. And I just also want to commend you for the care that you've shown to one another in the church. It's, it's been a joy to hear how we've been helping one another and looking out for one another. And uh, as I've said, I've really appreciated it our Sundays and have really enjoyed our gospel encounters. That's been our focus. The way that we've looked at those first four books of the New Testament that describe the life of Jesus and, and learned that an encounter with Jesus changes everything. I've been thinking back to the Sunday messages in particular that we've heard and I think seven weeks ago now when David talked about wanderings in the wilderness and he shared from that. He told us that the wilderness wasn't a wasteland, but rather it was a place where God did things. He, he shaped things. He changed things so that there could be fruitfulness and, and he could move and do things. And, and God is doing that during these times, I believe. Um, Mike Shooter shared, uh, with the aid of that well-fabled jigsaw now, about the importance of hope. And he did a great job teaching us more about what hope is and how hope steers us and directs us and sustains us. And that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is, is all important. Lisa shared from her summer house about the story of Zacchaeus and how the Bible describes Zacchaeus essentially as a bad man, but Jesus knew him, knew his name and he loved him and he calls him and he changes his life. He, he eats with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus finds transformation in an encounter with Jesus that changes him for the better. 
I shared on Easter Sunday about Christ the Redeemer and um, referred to the picture in, of, of the statue in Rio de, Janeiro, Rio de Janeiro, sorry, of Christ the Redeemer and how Jesus came just like that with arms outstretched for the whole world. He came for everyone. He came for you. He came for me. He's come for all. He's a universal redeemer and savior. And then after that, Phil and Sharon from their garden talked about an encounter in a garden, how this lady, Mary, who was broken, who had had such a difficult and troubled and tormented background, finds hope in Jesus. And that hope finds its culmination in the garden after his death. He, he's resurrected and he calls her by name and she realizes that he's alive and the hope that she has in him is transforming and restoring. Chris talked about Matthew 9, Jesus looking on the crowd that had followed him and how he sees the crowd. And when he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were helpless and harassed. They were like sheep without a shepherd and that every need within that group of people might not have been discernible, but all of them found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ that he's come for everybody and that he's the only one who can heal us of every need that, that impacts the, the human condition in our everyday lives. And then last week, David shared about the first miracle that Jesus performs and he does it at a, at a wedding. Read about it in John 2, where he turns water into wine and how, just like the servants, if we are obedient to what Jesus says, that he can do great things in us and through us. That Jesus took ceremonial washing water and by their obedience, they poured these jugs to the brim and then Jesus spoke the word and it was transformed into this vintage wine. And in the same way, Jesus can take what's ordinary, mundane, even what's unclean and transform it and make it something phenomenal, something exquisite. But then he wants to do that in our lives. And so although it's been tough not being able to meet, the fact is our online presence has been upped massively. Um, stuff on YouTube, on the church website, through social media, as I've already said, is, is reaching a lot of people that maybe um, we weren't reaching a few months ago. And I've been thinking about that and, and what God is doing in that. And I was reminded of the parable of the sower. You know, the, Jesus talks about it in, for example, in Matthew 13, this story of a farmer who goes out and he starts scattering seed. And uh, he's not really interested where it's going. He's just throwing it out there. <laughs> Some of it's bouncing off on hard ground, but some of it is finding good ground, good soil where it gets to put down roots and grows and produces this phenomenal bumper crop. And it's talking about how the message of the kingdom, the message, uh, the good news of the kingdom of God, that, that Jesus came and he died for us and he made a way back for us for a relationship with our heavenly father. And he restores everything, not just our lives, but our families, our world, our universe. That good news is when it finds good soil and somebody believes it and they believe in who Jesus is, it becomes this transforming power that changes everything and it produces a crop. And, and it feels like we've been scattering seed in a way that maybe we've not done before. The Holy Spirit is helping us to be more creative and he's He's, God's making a way for the messages to be uh, that we have, and not just Living Rock Church, but the church as a whole, hundreds and thousands of churches, sending stuff out there now that is finding good places. When God's word goes out, it doesn't return to him void. It accomplishes something. And I think a farming analogy uh, or a gardening analogy is uh, particularly apt at the moment because I think more than ever, we're in our gardens. Um, we're doing things with, plant, with, with plants and, and flowers, uh, probably like never before. I think by the time we get to the summer, uh, the UK at least will be like a horticulturalist dream come true. Like Alan Titchmarsh's paradise. It's going to have well-mown, well-manicured lawns and um, perfectly weeded borders with plants and flowers and shrubs growing and thriving vegetable 
patches producing bumper crops, window boxes looking glorious, hanging baskets looking beautiful and plants filling homes, being well watered and looked after because we're investing in our gardens. We certainly are here at home. I think any time that we've not been working and doing stuff at home, we've been out in the garden, particularly with the fantastic weather that we've had over the last couple of months. It's been amazing. And Sarah has been planning. She's always planning, but she's been planning things for the garden. She's been researching um, and finding ideas and, and sourcing ideas, buying plants and fertilizer. And now our garden has is, is changed. It's always been nice, but now it's like it's beautiful. We've got a newly planted veggie patch. We've got a compost heap we never had before with a little fence that Martha built. Um, Isaac's built some planters and now we have herbs and greens growing and, and strawberries are growing and, and everything's looking good. And I've even cut the grass. And Elijah's been helping out and, and our, our house, our, our garden rather, is, is looking lovely. And, and I think that's probably shaping some of the things that I'm going to share with today because God takes our everyday life. He takes the things that we do and he speaks to us in that. I was thinking about how God, God speaks. He speaks to us in the things that we're doing. He speaks to us in the light of the times that we're living in. You know, in this time of lockdown, God wants to speak. He wants to show us things. He speaks to us obviously through his word and he speaks to us in our prayer life. He speaks to us as we speak to other believers and to one another and even other voices. God can speak to us through those things. But particularly around what we're doing, what's happening, the times that we're in, the word of God and, our, and prayer. And, and I've been thinking about that. And as I've been looking and working in the garden or maybe watching Sarah work in the garden is probably a bit more accurate. I've been thinking about that, I've been thinking about plants and flowers and things growing and uh, how the garden's becoming more beautiful. I've been thinking about lockdown and as I've said, the, the result of that, of how the message has gone out more widely online. I've been reading in, uh, in scripture, that's how God speaks to us, probably the most clearly is through the Bible. It's, it is his word after all. I've been reading the Old and the New Testament. In the Old, I've been looking at how the, the, all the materials were being brought together to build the temple under David so that Solomon could build it and how phenomenal this building was, how magnificent it would be and all the various materials that were used to do that. And then in the New Testament, we've been looking as a small group, as a life group at uh, the, the Gospel of Luke and I've been reading about the disciples and how varied and, and different and random they were and yet they became this kind of incredible team, this force that Jesus sends out in the power of the Holy Spirit and acts that turns the world upside down because he sends them on this phenomenal mission and all of those things have been in the mix as I've been thinking and reading and praying and then, and then I think as I've been praying God has brought back to my mind a, a prophetic word that the Apostle Kerry Jones brought to us as a church at Living Rock in September 2014 and it's a word that if you've been around a little while with us you'll probably have heard us refer to it's it's, it's a prophetic word about wildflowers and uh, God said through Carrie he said this he said that he would give us so to see that we'll bring forth wildflowers and that God will add people to us as a church that will be seen as wildflowers by others and it'll change the whole church you will no longer be seen as one type of people but he will add from many working classes and from wealthy classes and that the whole thing would not be sectioned but there would be one garden and it would be it would be a garden with great symmetry and beauty three words that i love one beautiful garden and he talked about an anointing for those who were leading to be able to care for the different people and that people would look in and look at what's going on and they'd be surprised at the mixture but it would all be one it would be strange to some people but it will be god's doing I love that word. It's so rich. And I think 
maybe being in in the garden and doing all the things we're doing god has used that to to bring it back to my attention but but i just want us to think about how important it is we understand how diverse the church is god's church is diverse in matthew 9 the crowd was diverse in in john 2 the the wedding party was diverse when jesus talked to mary she was nothing like zacchaeus and zacchaeus was nothing like mary they were different but the one common denominator was jesus he was the only one who could call them who could heal them who could redeem them who could transform them and restore them he's the answer he's the one who brings everyone together and and um you know sometimes people say oh to be a Christian, you're going to like a particular type of person. There isn't a type. I think there's a stereotype. I think sometimes people just think of Christians, maybe they think we're straight-laced, holy than now, a bit dull, a bit boring, a bit grey. This top's not helping. Um, maybe they think they're a bit weird or a bit unhinged or sometimes even a little bit fanatical. But, but when I read the Bible and what the Bible says a Christian is, a Christian is to be like Christ, to be like Jesus. Jesus was never, none of those things. Um, Jesus was dynamic and he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was powerful, he was loving, he was engaging. He connected with people and, and he wants us to be like that. And he brought his disciples together. They were a diverse group of people. The early church was a diverse group of people. Living Rock Church and many other churches today are a diverse group of people. And I was thinking about the disciples and they really were a bunch of wildflowers. You had brothers, you had potentially competing fishermen, two, two families of fishermen. You had extremists and conformists. You had the wealthy and crooked and you had the modest and, and honest and you had cynical cynical people, you had believers, but Jesus brings them together. And and in Luke 6, it's also mentioned in Matthew 10 and, and in Mark 3 as well, there's a list of the disciples. And it says, one day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. This is in Luke 6, verse 12 and onwards. And it says, at daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. And here are their names. Simon, whom he called Peter. Andrew, Peter's brother. James, John, Philip, Bartholomew. Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Simon, who was called the Zealot. Judas, son of James and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So there's a list of those who were Jesus' apostles. I mean, who were these men? What were they like? What were they like to spend time with? What were they like together? Why did Jesus choose this particular group? Was it that he'd sort of done personality checks on them and he assessed them for gifts and character and ability and he thought this is the perfect mix, the perfect cocktail, the chemistry is perfect? I don't think so, probably quite the opposite. What we do know is he went up to a mountain, he prayed, his father in heaven told him who to choose and he chose them. And as you look at them, you realize they were really diverse. They were very different. And as I describe them a little bit more in detail, I'd just like you to think about how you maybe would have related to them. Some you might have got on with, maybe some might have struggled to get on with. What it would have been like if they'd have been part of your friendship group, part of your church family, if you're part, if you're part of a church. You know, the, firstly, I want to talk about the two, two pairs of brothers that were both Galilean fishermen. You've got um, Simon and, and Andrew, or Simon, Peter and Andrew, and James and John. And as I said, they were, they were Galilean men. And Josephus, who was a first century Roman and Jewish historian, said the Galilean men were fond of innovation and change and sedition. That they were ready to follow a leader and they were keen to begin an uprising or be part of an insurrection. They were also quick-tempered and emotional and they liked to quarrel, but they were chivalrous. They were anxious for honour. They were adventurous and loyal. And these four men are probably the first to be called by Jesus. We know that 
Andrew in John 140 was one of John the Baptist's disciples. He was following John around. He'd obviously been captivated by what John was saying. And, and he's there when John the Baptist literally points to Jesus and says, there he is. He's the Lamb of God. And John and another disciple, uh, sorry, Andrew and another disciple of John go to Jesus. They speak to him, ask him where he's staying. They follow Jesus to where he's staying. And it kind of goes from there. And, and Andrew realizes he's met the real deal and he goes and he gets his brother Simon and they, they start to follow Jesus. And then probably shortly afterwards, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. James and John are in their boats. Uh, Andrew and Simon Peter are theirs and Jesus calls them. He calls them and says, I'm going to change you from fishermen to fishers of men. And they drop their nets and they follow Jesus and they are probably the first four to follow him. And of those four, three become Jesus in a circle, his kind of closest friends, the one who get to be involved in more things than the others, have greater insights and revelation of, of the things that Jesus does and what he experiences and, and uh, become part of this inner circle. And, but there's no evidence in scripture that Andrew was ever um, at all jealous or envious of, of, or, um, of what was happening to Simon Peter. Um, there, was, there seemed to be a humility about him even though he wasn't one of the three, but he was one of the first, if not the first, to follow Jesus. And probably other than John, Simon Peter's the disciple we might know the most about, the one we have the most insights on. We, we know he was zealous and he was impetuous. He was often the first to ask a question or answer a question, to say something or to do something. He's the first one or the only one to get out of the boat to walk on the water towards Jesus on the lake. He's the first to speak out loud that Jesus is the the son of God, the Messiah, he has that revelation and he declares it. He's also the one who says to Jesus, I'll stay with you to the bitter end, I'll die with you. And then when push comes to shove, he denies that he even knows Jesus. And so we could see that he's, you know, he, he's, he's all over the place at some times and really solid and others. And sometimes he's rash, but he's always, I think, sincere. And what would he have been like? What would it have been like if he'd been part of that friendship group? Would you find him a bit overbearing or over keen or maybe been challenged by his his zeal and his steadfastness. Maybe you find him a bit pushy. He might have been maybe a bit like mint, you know, that mint so it just kind of grows and it just goes and it, it takes over. And you got James and John who are quite similar. They were, I mean, Jesus nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder. These were not wallflowers. <laughs> uh, they were passionate and they were hotheads. And they were young men who'd come from a business background. Their dad owned the, the fishing boats and the nets and workmen, so he was probably wealthy, a wealthy family, quite privileged. And they were a little bit insensitive or a lot insensitive and maybe lacking a bit of grace and mercy. I mean, Jesus has just disclosed how he's going to die and he shares how he's going to suffer in Matthew 10, 35. And the first thing they can ask is, um, when are we going to get honoured, Lord? When are we going to find a place of honour? How are we going to do that? Can we sit each side of you in glory? And, and it's like, that's a bit insensitive. They just had a mission trip to a, a Samaritan village and it's not gone very well. And their first question is, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy it? Maybe lacking a little bit of grace, um, maybe a little bit of a kind of an overbearing plant, but they all had a place in the garden. And then you've got someone like Thomas, who is, seems sarcastic and cynical, a godly man, but there's some of these traits kind of come through. Maybe he's a bit of a reluctant grower. <laughs> But in John eleven sixteen, he's really unhappy, along with the other disciples, to be fair, about the prospect of going back to Judea. They just left there because they were going to be stoned to death. Then news reaches them that Lazarus, who lived there, has died in Judea. Jesus waits and then he goes back after hearing he's sick and finds he's died and it's time to go back. And they're like, what are you doing? Why are we going back to Judea? And it's, it's uh, Thomas who says, come on, guys. Yeah, let's go with Jesus and die with him then. It's kind of this sarcastic tone to what seems to be written in scripture. 
And then it's, as we know, he's the one who doubted in, in John 20, 24. He's like, I won't believe until I personally see the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. And then finally Jesus reveals himself to him in his resurrection and, and he falls down and he worships Jesus as, as Lord. But maybe we would have struggled a bit with his slideness and, and some of his cynical comments. He might've been a bit prickly or a bit thorny, but he had a place in the garden. There was a rose there. We read about Matthew, who was also called Levi. I mean, this guy was a tax collector. Jesus calls him from a tax collector's booth. In Mark 2, 14, we read that. Tax collectors were hated. They were notorious. They were also rich. They were educated. They were smart guys. But the terrible thing was they worked for this oppressive regime, the Roman uh, Empire, who were imposing Roman rule in Israel. They weren't welcome, but they were doing it. And the tax collectors were working for them. They were taking tax from their own people and giving it to Rome. And not only that, they were skimming stuff themselves and pocketing it. And they were overcharging people tax for Rome and for themselves. And then they were backed by Roman guards, they're heavies. So if anybody had a problem with it, they were gonna get a problem from these Roman guards. And so therefore they had people over a barrel and they were hated for it. They were feeding off the oppression of their own people. You, you compare that with Simon the Zealot. He was a freedom fighter. He was a staunch Jew. He hated Rome, anything to do with Rome. He wanted to bring Rome down. He wanted Rome to leave the Jews alone. And he would have hated anyone who had anything to do with Rome, any affiliation to Rome, and particularly to a Jewish person who'd sold themselves out and become a betrayer of their nation. And, and, it, and he would have seen it as an act of treason. And yet Jesus brings them together. There are some plants you just think, are they ever gonna, one's gonna choke the other one out. But actually, again, they're brought together and Jesus is, is bringing this garden together of wildflowers that are being transformed by him. So Simon and Matthew would have had very different political views, but naturally very different. And yet you would never naturally put them on the same team, but, but here they are. And other disciples aren't really mentioned much at all. Maybe they were more steady eddies, more, more normal, if you like, but they were also pulled into this fantastic team. And you add to the mix all of the men and women who had faith in Jesus, the group that were gathered at the beginning of Acts, praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And I would propose there was a very diverse, seemingly incompatible group of people, introverts, extroverts, sincere and cynical, team players and lone wolves, good, bad, ugly, and everything in between. And you'd have had sibling rivalry and business rivalry and different personalities and backgrounds and social statuses and political and even maybe religious beliefs, but they'd all been called by Jesus. White flowers brought together and arranged by the master gardener. Men and women united under one savior, one Messiah, one King. When the Holy Spirit came, this beautiful group of wildflowers, this garden was, was blooming and it drew crowds and it grew as a result. Acts 2, 14, the disciples stepped forward together and um, different men that were united in one message of the gospel of the kingdom. The early church, a diverse group of people who choose to meet together and share everything they have. Just like the temple that we read in the Old Testament, all sorts of different materials that were brought together to form this seamless, stunning piece of architecture that became God's house and God filled it with his presence. Well, guess what? That's what we are. That's what the church is a diverse family, an incredible house. God is joining us together and he's fitting us together. He's doing it by his spirit. He's helping us help one another in that. And he's doing it by his grace and, it, and it's a wonderful thing that he's building. And when I think about our church family, I, I'm so blessed by how diverse we are, how different we are, different personalities and gifts and backgrounds. And I'm so grateful that God has bring, brought us together and there will be clashes and there will be things to overcome. There'll be personality differences and differences of opinion at time, but 
But, but all of us have edges that need to be knocked off and we do that by the grace of God. All of us have lifestyle um, things in, in our lives that need to change, might be attitudes or, or motives or mindsets that need to change and be altered and God wants to do that and we line ourselves up with God and what he wants. And we help one another with that. But we remain diverse and we remain different, but now we become united and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. That's God's heart for us. And I, I just want to pray that over these coming days that each one of us will recognise the important role that we have to play. You have a part to play, I have a part to play that nobody else can play. Please don't go into hibernation. Please don't go into stasis. Be active in everything that God has called you to do. Be Use the gifts that God has given you. Don't compare yourself with others. Think I'm not as... Um, skilled as them, I'm not as gifted as them, I'm not as charismatic as those or experiences. And just be yourself. Yes, appreciate them and what they've got, but also recognize God has given you something that we need. I need it. What you have, you need what I have. That's the truth of it. That we're this garden that God is putting together, one flower by itself. It's boring, but a mixture is glorious. This this rich variety. And I pray that as you go around and Maybe you're in your garden or you see, or go on walks and you see plants and flowers that you pray this prayer that, that the, the seed that's being scattered will bring in wildflowers. They'll find good soil and it will produce a harvest and those flowers will be added and this garden will grow. That Living Rock Church as a garden will grow with more richness of flowers that will be different and varied and diverse but one. Not sectioned but still a symmetry and a beauty to it. And I just want to share this, if you're not a Christian, or you're new to Christianity or the Christian faith, there isn't a type. Jesus has come for everyone. Diversity is beautiful and he brings that in and he shapes it and it comes under his rule and his lordship and the Holy Spirit helps with that. But there's still different personalities, different approaches and ideas and creativities and gifts. And in it all, God is doing something beautiful and magnificent. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for everyone who's listened today. I pray that you'd bless them. Pray that you'd cause them to recognise the treasure that's within them, the treasure that's in the lives of those around them. And that, Lord, that you would add to us over these coming weeks and months. Thank you that you already are doing that. And I pray your blessing over us as your people, that, Jesus, you would be glorified in us and through us. In your wonderful name, Lord, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Have a really fantastic rest of your day. Thank you. See you soon. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.